0: Uh, right now, though, it's time to talk AFL, and we welcome to the show Simon Smythe. Good morning, Simon. Good morning, Brownie. Good morning, Buttes. Happy Saturday to you both.
1: Yes, yes. same to you, mate. And uh, let's go back to Thursday night. Uh, Richmond taking on Carlton. And uh, Richmond getting the job done, 11-15-81, over the Blues 9-12-66. Um, a physical contest which would you would expect nothing less from these two rivals.
0: Nay. Spot on, Brook. You say are absolute rivals. Two big Victorian clubs up and about at the moment and probably a little bit of an upset here. Carlton if they won would have gone to equal top of the ladder. Would have still been in fourth position but equal with, with Melbourne, Fremantle and the Brisbane Lions on points but didn't get the job done and it was really Richmond's fast start. They kicked sort of the first five or six goals of the game before Carlton even registered a goal halfway through the second quarter and I found this game intriguing. It was wet weather, but both teams play a similar style of footy in that they love to move the ball quickly and they they get it going forward at all costs. So knocking it on, soccering it on, tapping it on, whatever they need to do, they get the ball going forward and get momentum their way, which in wet weather footy is the way to go. And Carlton, they came back a couple of times and were back within three points late in the last quarter. But that start that Richmond got, Carlton were never, ever able to peg them back, and unfortunately for the Blues, a couple more injuries, and that's what's really hurting them at the moment, they're missing their their best key defender in Jacob Wiedering, their number one Ruckman in Mark Pitnett, um, and they've just got too many players, Adam Chera, their star on baller, who are missing at the moment, and so I think from a Carlton perspective, they will play finals, but they just need to win enough games to get their star players back and make a tilt for september so good win for richmond important win for richmond because it keeps them there and thereabouts in the top eight i think it'll be between them and collingwood guys who'll make that mm. final eight spots so, a really important win for the richmond tigers
1: and to have done it without their superstar dusty martin even uh, better for the the richmond club
0: yeah absolutely i looked at that and, and thought oh geez dusty's out uh, Carlton calton the here to win the game but um no, they've just got some good depth, Richmond. They've got players coming back. Dion Prestia was a star with 33 yeah. touches for the Tigers. He's, he's a super player who really, since their last premiership uh, in, in, in 2020, has been injured. So really important to get him back on the field and playing so well. Tom Lynch, back up forward, was instrumental in the first half, kicking three goals. So, no, they're a, they're a good team, Richmond, and, and at their best, you've still got to remember that they're a three-time premiership team in the modern era, um, and their best is as, as good yeah. as anyone. So, and look out finals. If the Tigers scrape in, they can certainly do some damage come September.
1: No doubt about that. And rewalt uh, kicking two goals takes him to be uh, to 16th on the all-time leading goal scorers in the AFL, which is uh, a mighty effort. It certainly is, and and... Even though Beauty
0: is a key forward and a full forward, he's not really, really tall. You know, he's he's athletic, he's strongly mm. built, but he's not that absolute power forward that stands and takes pack marks. He relies on his on his leap, on his speed, on his athleticism and his judging of the ball. So he kicks goals in many different ways, Jack, and yeah, moves up to number sixteen all-time AFL, VFL. Goal scoring table and also the third most goals ever kicked on the MCG. So, no, he's a super wow. talent. Will he go on again next year? Who knows? But um, certainly he's in reasonable form at the moment for Richmond.
1: Well, I have no doubt Tiger supporters will be hoping that he has another year uh, <laughs> with him, mate. Turning to last night's game, uh, Essendon, who was sitting in 16th spot, a uh, bit of an upset over the Saints 15 uh, 17 107 to 11 6 72. Uh, it's put a bit of a dampener or It certainly um, had an impact on the Saints and their top four ambitions. Comfortable victory, wasn't it? Yeah.
0: Yeah, real big upset here. And and Essendon have been under pressure all season from the media And, and internally as well because they did make the finals last season and have only, prior to last night, only won two games. So their club's going through a review of the football department at the moment, which always speaks... Of no. uh, you know dire straits when the club's going through a review, who will last that review? But mm. but now nah, they were they were fantastic last night, and once again it was the attitude that they brought at the start of the game. And I think St Kilda did come back a bit like Carlton, came back through the night. But I think this game was won and lost above the shoulders, guys. Where you know the attitude of Essendon was was positive. They were up and about. They were ready for the contest. And St Kilda may have been a little bit complacent um, and you know not taken Essendon as seriously as what they should have. And St Kilda are coming off two losses now after losing to Brisbane up there last Saturday night. So yes, they're still in the eight and yes, they will most likely still play finals. But as you said, Butes, their top four aspirations have taken a big hit now because those top three or four teams are moving a couple of games clear now. and. You need to beat the teams that are below you on the ladder, and especially right down the bottom. And and Essendon should have been an easy kill for St Kilda, especially with the talent that St Kilda have got on their list. But once again, the attitude and the positivity of the young Essendon players, I think, got them across the line.
1: Okay. Mate, uh, games to come. Swanee sitting seventh on the ladder at the moment, v Port Adelaide. How is this one going to play out, Simon?
0: It's always tough, Brownie, to go over to the Adelaide Oval and win. Um, even though Port haven't had the best season, they're still uh, prelim finalists from last season, but I think the big issue here for Port is a couple of their absolute stars are out. So, Travis Boak, who's their inspirational captain and midfielder, he's out with health and safety protocols, um, and Robbie Gray, who's an All-Australian forward, he's out as well with a, with a knee injury. So, that really takes the winning edge away from Port Adelaide, and I think the Swans, with Buddy Franklin back um, and coming off the bye nice and fresh, they should win it. And, and once again, we just spoke about St Hilda's inability to knock off a team below them on the ladder. The Swans, if they want to maintain reach with, with the top four, then they need to beat Port Adelaide Brownie. So I'm tipping the Swans to win, but should be a good game to watch this afternoon.
1: Yeah, and an important one for the Swans to uh, maintain themselves in that top eight. Um, very important for them. Uh, Smythe, we saw during the week the Hall of Fame inductees. Eight players were inducted into the Hall of Fame, and it's always uh, one of those things which is you know, carries with it a, a lot of uh, a huge amount of honour uh, and respect. But uh, I'll go through a couple of them. Uh, Matthew Pavlich from the Dockers, uh, Bill Dempsey, uh, Mike Fitzpatrick. But two that I really want to focus on, uh, one of them is Brent Harvey. I know you're a kangaroos man. Uh, he's got the record record. Uh, for the most amount of games in the AFL slash VFL, with 432 career games. Uh, a small man in stature, but certainly a mighty player.
0: Oh, absolutely, and it's, it's a funny one. Dennis Pagan, who was Bute's inaugural coach at North Melbourne, famously said to the recruiting staff, I wanted you to recruit me a footballer, not a jockey, when Brent Harvey <laughs> came to the club <laughs> at the end of... 1995 and and nicknamed boomer because as a kid he just sort of popped up everywhere and you know brent harvey whilst he didn't have size he had pace and he had skill and he had hunger and determination and that's what he always knew would get him across the line and make him an elite afl player and as you said mate 432 games that will never be surpassed you know it's it's sensational and looking at him now he's 44 years of age he's actually the runner for the kangaroos uh he could still play. He is as fit as anyone on the Kangaroos list at the moment. He's an absolute superstar. Four hundred and thirty two games, five hundred and twelve goals, five bests and fairest for North Melbourne, which is a club record. And when you look at the likes of people like Ross Glendinning and Keith Gregg and Malcolm Blight and Wayne Carey, Wayne Brent Carey, Harden yeah. sits at the top with five with five yeah. best and fairest, you know, all Australians. Um, and it was just his pace, you know, watching him, you know, in the forward line, in the midfield, he just he bought players, he'd bounce, he'd go around them, he was just so agile, so skillful, um, and a remarkable player and, and it just shows I guess that in the game of Australian rules football size doesn't matter it's skill, it's heart it's determination um, and, and all those types of things can make a, an elite player and a very well deserved Hall of Famer. The first year that Brent Harvey was eligible to be a Hall of Famer, he's inducted straight away. So I think mm, that speaks volumes yeah. of the player that he was.
1: Yeah, and Simon, we touched on Brent Harvey before the break, but uh, Nicky Winmar another one of the inductees into the Hall of Fame, majestic half-forward, or uh, wingman who was capable of winning games with his pace and exquisite ball skills. Two-time All-Australian, certainly was uh, and selected in the AFL Indigenous Team of the Century. Uh, with over 230 games for the Saints. He was certainly uh, worthy of uh, induction into this Hall of Fame.
0: Very worthy nomination, mate. Nicky Winmar was a superstar, sort of, especially through the, the 90s. On that wing at Moorabbin and off and of back in the day, it was the days before, you know, Marble Stadium was around and you had those suburban grounds. And St Kilda used to play at Moorabbin and, and it was always full of mud. It was just a bog fest. Yet Nicky Winmar, his skills and his pace were elite he was so clean. He'd run down that wing at Marrabin and bounce the ball. And and I think the probably the, the biggest accolade you could get from um, for, for, for Nicky Winmar was how Tony Lockett, the great plugger, spoke about him um, in the Hall of Fame speech introduction, just saying that you know every time Nicky got the ball, plugger would leave knowing that that Nicky would would hit him on the chest uh, with a beautiful laced out drop hunt. So absolutely exquisite player and high-marking player as well. I remember watching him take some real speckies, but it wasn't only the stuff that he did, I guess, from a footballing sense, but he was the one as well who really brought uh, racism to the forefront of Australian rules football, where he famously, in 1993, after getting um, racially slurred by a Collingwood player at Victoria Park, pulled up his Saints jersey and pointed to the colour of his skin in front of the crowd, and that was what sparked... Mm. The AFL to really kick into gear and come up with a, an anti-racism policy, which has obviously um, been uh, been executed and worked through today. So a really important person for the Indigenous community, Nicky Winmar. But taking that aside, he was an elite footballer. He's high marking, his skills, his pace. Um, he was a tremendous footballer to watch. And as he said uh, when he came up and, and accepted his Hall of Fame nomination it's about time. So he was expecting and uh, really glad for St Kilda supporters that he was able to get there in the end.
1: Yeah, I like that, mate. Um, And look, it'd be remiss for us not to mention um, they have a thing called the legend status uh, and this is similar to, I guess, the NRL's equivalent of the Immortals and uh, just the one inductee and, you know, I think it's well, the 32nd player was elevated to this status, and that was Russell Ebert. Uh, 392 games for uh, Port Adelaide, 25 games for North Melbourne in the VFL, three premierships with Port, four times Margaret Medal for the best player in the SANFL, uh, six times club best and fairest. Um, he did it all, and obviously, uh, you know, obviously we did, well, I didn't get to see him play, but um, he certainly worthy of uh, this legend status.
0: Yeah, he certainly was. And, and I think people on the eastern side of the country, you know, don't know a lot about Russell Ebert because that was back in the days with the, the SA-NFL or the South Australian National Football League. That was on par with the VFL at the time as, as yes. being such an elite competition. And, and, you know, the crowds they used to get there, they'd get 60,000 people for the grand finals. And, and the South Australians didn't follow the VFL. They followed the Sampful. And, and Port Adelaide obviously were a powerhouse um, and, and forced their way into the AFL in the mid-1990s. But Russell Ebert, you've, you've covered his accolades there, and just to stop, what, 392 games, uh, a club record, six B&S, four McGarry medals, which is the equivalent to the Brownlow medal now in the AFL. He was known as the best player to come out of South Australia, and, and a midfielder, a strong midfielder, um, great mark overhead, elite skills and from from what his teammates have said post tuesday night's hall of fame uh, celebration is that he was ahead of his time so the preparation that he put in as uh, an amateur footballer was akin to what the professional footballers are putting in now he worked on his diet he worked on his fitness he worked on his skills both sides of the body and he was way ahead of his time his proactive handballing was ahead of his time as well when back then it was almost you know purely a kicking game and back in those days butes and brownie they were kicking drop kicks and you know his his, you know legendary port adelaide coach foss williams you know allegedly said prior to the 1971 season no one in our team is to kick drop kicks because you know because of the risk involved except for russell Ebert. he is allowed (laughs) to do it so that's how skillful he was and in 1979, thought, I'm going to test myself against the best of the rest in the country and moved over to North Melbourne to play one season in the VFL, finished third in their best and fairest, uh, got the most uh, disposals for North Melbourne that season. He was actually still living in Adelaide, flying over on a Thursday night to train with North and play on a Saturday and then fly home. Did that for one season, came back to Port Adelaide in 1981, two more McGarry medals and two more premiership so elite and you know the 32nd legend of the game um and and i think it's wonderful that the hall of fame and the legend recognize people who played in the waffle in the sandfall etc that you know didn't get exposure to the vfl or afl because russell ebert stands as highly as anyone in the game. Uh, and very much a deserved legend. So congratulations yeah. to him. And unfortunately he wasn't there. He, he passed away late last year, so his wife was there to accept his award on his behalf. Uh, but a really fitting memory for the family, for a wonderful, wonderful footballer.
1: Yeah, good wrap-up, um, Simon, and, and you know, deservedly so for uh, Russell Ebert, who uh, has reached that legend status. Um, and, and one of those, like I said, only the 32nd player, to be elevated to that status so it's certainly well and truly up there in terms of where the game is at. Uh, Simon we really appreciate your time today mate, fantastic job as per usual, uh, a very thorough and comprehensive wrap of all things AFL.
0: Thanks guys you have a great weekend